Welcome to Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Today's episode of Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by our ebook on driving innovation, how to foster a culture of innovation within your team. In it, you'll discover how to set a context for innovation, why culture matters, and how you can influence it, and what you can do to foster innovation within your team. Make sure to download a copy today. You can find it in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod338. This is Elizabeth Frederick, and I am really excited to bring today's guest back to the show. She is the Distinguished Teaching Professor of Marketing and Professional Selling at the Lindner College of Business at the University of Cincinnati, and she's won multiple awards and honors for her excellence in teaching over the years. Her PhD is in marketing, and her dissertation is all about relationship selling and the effects of sex, gender, and family on sales performance. She also has an excellent TEDx talk that you might have seen on how empowering women benefits everyone. She is based in Cincinnati, Ohio. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Jane Soika. Well, thank you very much, Elizabeth. It's so glad, so good to be back, and I always enjoy talking with you. Same here. I I really enjoyed our last conversation and so much is going on. I thought um, there would be a lot more for us to talk about today. But before we jump into that, I know our long-term listeners will remember hearing from you. But for anybody who's new to the show, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, My name is Jane Soika. Um, Let's see, you, you already gave my academic credentials. I teach professional selling at the University of Cincinnati, started their sales center, and also founded our varsity sales team, where our students compete against other universities in sales competitions, which is is always kind of fun. And about five or six years ago, I received a grant from Procter & Gamble to try to understand how to get more women in male-dominated fields, particularly Mm -hmm. B2B sales. As a result of that grant, I started my women in sales course, which I thought would be one time, 25 women, two men, never to be taught again. And it took off like wildfire. The students loved it. The sales community loved it. And I now teach, I think I counted 250 women every year in a sales class. And I've had over a thousand women take a sales class when I've been teaching it. So it's been really exciting to, to make a difference and see the differences that um, education can make. Definitely. It's, it's funny to think about how both of the things that you've started have been pretty revolutionary. You know, there hasn't been as much study of sales as a professional skill. Uh, a lot of times it's viewed as just, you know, if you're if you're smart and can pick things up, you can just fall right into sales or people study marketing and marketing and sales are different things. And so, oh. you know, that, that focus on sales first and then recognizing, hey, when I look at sales teams, I'm not necessarily seeing people from all backgrounds represented, especially women. You know, thank you for saying that. And I really do appreciate that. Yes, sales is part of marketing. And I think one of the things that attracted me to sales, and I will say it was a lot of it was accidental or divine intervention. No, I, you know, whichever, whichever um, you prefer, but it was kind of an accident. I fell into it. I was intended to study consumer behavior and ended up really apologizing to my professor saying, you know, I'm, I'm sorry I went into sales instead of consumer behavior. And they said, oh, no, this is perfect training because 
you're flipping sides of the table. And to really understand selling, you have to understand your consumers. And so I became fascinated with the process of selling, who's good at selling, and really sales as a sociological phenomenon. Mm-hmm. So it, it's it's fun to have it within the, the marketing context, but you're right. Um, you know, it frustrates me. I wish more people would study would study sales. It's a it's a fascinating topic, especially now um, that things are changing so quickly. Oh. And that's really what I want to focus on in our conversation today. Um, you know, you've been you've been doing this work um, with sales for a while. You've been having this women in sales um, course for a few years now, and. I would imagine that you've probably seen some changes, both in maybe the way students are approaching these classes and and coming into them with certain expectations or certain perspectives, and in the way that um, future employers are looking for people to be educated and and are looking for certain skills. So what are you seeing in some of those, those trends that have changed since you began this course? Wow, that there's a lot there. Okay, Elizabeth, a lot, a lot to unpack. Okay, so um, let me start pre-COVID because COVID is just an anomaly, and and that's a whole nother different ballgame. So let me just start pre-COVID. Um, what has been fascinating to me is as I started teaching, because I've always been teaching sales. I've probably been teaching sales for 25 years, but as I started teaching women in sales, I started uncovering more and more teachable skills that women were lacking. There was a gender gap in education and these are teachable skills. And let me give you a couple of examples. One is negotiation. And I know you and I talked about this. I think we talked about it offline, but negotiation, uh, you know, my favorite statistic, how many people negotiate their first job? And, you know, it's, you know, only 7% of women. So I had to add that to the curriculum. I wasn't planning on that. And I don't even call it negotiation because it mm-hmm. just bristles. Women, we have, a, we have a negative stereotype of nego- negotiators, okay? And yeah, I'll just leave it at that, a negative stereotype. So I change it to ask for what you want. Mm. And, you know, what I would like to say is, oh, you know what? The women coming into my class, because I've been teaching it for six years now, don't need this anymore. I'm not seeing that. And not only am I not seeing that, I am getting more demand from women, professional women already in the field who are saying, I don't know how to do this. I need this. So, I mean, like we're seeing, and, and it's teachable skill. So we're seeing gender gaps in education and we're starting to starting to make inroads, okay? Because the more students I teach, well, then they'll, they will teach others. Um, Another area that I'm starting to really focus on, and I think this is going to really play out post-COVID, if I can say post-COVID, is speaking up. Mm-hmm. And um, we did a, there was an informal survey, okay, an informal survey on campus. And, I, and we're no different than any other school. I mean, I don't believe that we're a public Midwest large university, okay? And it's asked women in particular where in the classrooms do you feel marginalized, where you're afraid to raise your hand? When you do, you get mocked or discounted, or you just feel discredited. And so the areas, 
Political science doesn't surprise me. Engineering doesn't surprise me, but it was the College of Business. Mm -hmm. And that also did not surprise me because as part of the resilience papers where women had to talk about failing and then choosing a strategy and getting over the failure quickly, I would read their papers saying, it was finance class. I wanted to raise my hand, but I was afraid I didn't have the right answer. So I didn't. And the boy next to me raised his hand and got the right answer. And I'm, oh, I had it. I, I didn't raise my hand, you know, or I raised my hand. I had the wrong answer and everybody looked at me like I was an idiot, you know? So I saw I, both, both times. And so mm-hmm. I've had to, in my classroom, which is a very, very safe space, we practice speaking up. I give them strategies for speaking up. And then for practice, you know, with students, extra credit goes a long way. Okay. So we have guest speakers. You ask a question, you get extra credit. And the first person who asked the first question, because I think that's the, the scariest one, two points extra credit and get them practicing speaking up because if they're afraid to speak up, if women are afraid to speak up in the classroom, we will never speak up in the boardroom. Mm-hmm. We're getting seats at the table, but we have to speak up. Absolutely. It's it's so interesting that you mentioned these two skills specifically at the beginning of our conversation, negotiation and kind of that, that willingness to speak up because negotiation to an extent, it I mean, it is vitally, vitally important. I get so excited when I'm working with younger women and they come with a negotiation when it comes to salary. Yes, and they're they're so much more confident than I was at their age, and and that's um, really exciting to see. But negotiation often is on your own behalf, and that's important. That's a really good thing. Um, you can also negotiate on the behalf of others around you, and and yes. you know having both of those skills is important. But when it comes to speaking up, one thing that that I think we often don't focus on when it comes to skills is you can't be an effective ally, an effective al- you know advocate for other people around you who are in even more marginalized groups if you're not even comfortable speaking up for yourself. And developing a practice of confidence, of resilience, of being willing to speak up and advocate is important for you, but it's also important for the people around you, the people below you in the hierarchy, and people who have maybe less ability to speak up than you do. Even though it's difficult for you, it's even more difficult for them. You know, Elizabeth, I think you bring up a couple of really, really good points. And let me go back to the negotiation one and then see if I can tie them together. Um, One of the things research shows is that women negotiate better than men when they are doing it on behalf of someone else. Mm-hmm. And I have seen that my department, my department had my, I've seen my department head get amazing things for me and the other women and other department members, quite honestly. Mm-hmm. But then she goes, she doesn't ask enough for herself. And I can also say um, we had a family tragedy and I was the, fa- I was the one that was in front, you know, saying, this is what my sister and her children need to live on. And I can't tell you how many times I came home to my husband saying, if this money were for me, we'd just settle. We'd just settle. You know, da, da, da. But mm-hmm. it wasn't. It was for my sister and her family. And I kept going. And I'm pleased to say they will never have to worry about money, but I would never have done that for myself. And 
So like I try when, you know, turn this around rather than trying to make women more selfish because we don't need that in the world right now. But I try to, you know, reframe it and tell my women students, think of all the people you can help Mm -hmm. with this money. Think of all the good things you can do with this money. And I like that because that's another strategy. Actually, I'm going to use that. I'm going to incorporate that in my class now, Elizabeth. Think about who you help by speaking up. You're going to give somebody courage because they're going to see you speak up. Or as an ally, you may clear the floor to say, excuse me, I want to hear what so-and-so has to say because we know who gets interrupted the most. I want to hear what so-and-so has to say. And you help them speak up. So I, I think one of our strengths as women is that we love to help other people. And rather than squash that, I think if we free frame some of these scary things, I think, I think we can be brave when we're on a mission to help other people. So I like that reframing. That's that's such a powerful story, Jane, and that's that's really something that you know. Again, I've seen it in myself and and in others. It's so much easier to advocate on other people's behalf than it is on your own, and um, it's so important, you know, in the world today. I would imagine something that that you're likely seeing, whether it's um, whether it's really explicitly coming in in what you're hearing from potential employers, or whether it's just an implicit conversation, is that need for people to be more um, more comfortable having conversations about um, you know challenging issues, dealing with a diverse team, and and being effective advocates and allies for other groups, and it's you know, that's another conversation that maybe was um, kind of subtle, was behind the scenes, wasn't really a focus. And then over the last few years, that's really arisen in importance, which is which is wonderful um, for people to see, but is also a skill that um, that can be developed. Yeah. Well, and in fact, that that leads me to another thing we added. Now, this is not maybe not related to COVID, but r- racial empathy. I I I had to add a, a racial empathy module because of the reasons that you know that that you're talking about, and so um, I think it was George Floyd's killing, among others. I I realized I was aware of this problem because I work with a lot of diverse students. I thought I'm just going to let somebody else fix it, and I remained silent. And I realized if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem, and as a person of privilege, I, you know, I, I have, I'm, I'm a person of privilege. What can I say? I educated, I have money, I have an obligation to speak out. So, um, and also, I also feel very strongly. I, if I'm going to ask my students to be brave and speak up, mm. I need to practice what I preach. So I reached out to a couple of recruiters I work very closely with. And honest to goodness, you talk about being scared. Forget climbing Mount Everest. Scared. I was scared when I wrote this email and I said, you know, I don't know what to say. I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing, but I cannot sit idly by. And and I susp- you know, and, and, and you are probably suffering. So please forgive me for not saying the right thing, but know that I don't know what to do and I don't know what to say, but I cannot remain silent. And I tell you what, I got back and I thought, okay, they're never, they're going to just trash the email. I got back the nicest emails 
And it started a dialogue. And I'm telling you, I was scared when I started doing this. So um, one recruiter and I decided, you know what, well, what can we do with our students? Because I'm thinking if I'm having a hard time starting this conversation, I know my students are. So we developed a racial empathy module where we, talk, you know, we, we read some statements from people and then, well, and then the students interpret, well, what was this person feeling? Mm. You know, discouragement, despair, pain, and, and try to list the emotions. And, and, then, and then the students, well, you know, like, I know what that feels like. And here's my example. And what was fascinating to me, and I was, once again, I was scared to death because it's, it's, a, it's a charged topic, okay? And this is a sales class, but sales, you have to understand other people. The feedback from the students was, thank you for helping us learn how to start the conversation. Mm. We didn't know how to do this. And it's like, okay, this is good. This, this is good. So it was um, another experiment that, that went very well. Absolutely. And I, I really appreciate your, your vulnerability there in, in sharing the concerns that you have, because I think a lot of our listeners, when they're thinking of maybe the, um, the onboarding process they have or the, the internal training that they're doing with new hires, they might be you know, afraid to start these conversations and uncomfortable with them. And as you said, if, if we're coming from positions of privilege, we have a responsibility to be the ones to start this conversation. It's not fair to expect um, our colleagues, you know, people of color and, and other marginalized groups to be the ones who have to take the lead on this. They're, they're dealing with enough already. And the, the way you actually reached out to recruiters reached out to people who who had you know a perspective that that you weren't able to have based on you know the the, the people that you're working yeah. with that's a really powerful thing and, and understanding where we have areas of expertise where we need to lean on others um, all of that is part of having empathy and having difficult conversations whether it's racially related or, or anything else yeah and it it, it it was an experiment that went well and I but trust me I was scared to death the first time. And that was when, interestingly enough, um, we did it during COVID. So we were all online mm-hmm. and, and this might be, make us a nice transition into how are things going with COVID. It was a discussion where I honestly was glad we were online. And that's, that's unusual for me to say, cause I'm an in-person person and I'm an in-person teacher, but because it was so such an emotionally charged topic, the distance from being online, I think, helped diffuse some of the emotion. And, you know, I, and you're in a small group with people. You're not face-to-face with them. You're online. And there's, there's that degree of separation, which, honestly, that module worked better online than it did on, in person. I've done it both ways. And that was one that was online I think really worked better, which I never would have guessed, but I, I, it makes sense. 
It, it really does. And I'd like to spend some more time on, on this technology piece, because I know that that's a big change that's that's been happening for a while, was accelerated during COVID, and, and we're all still trying to figure out, uh, you know, post-COVID, I'm not sure if that's a, that's a word we should be using, but in the new normal, whatever it might look like, um, we're, we're figuring that out. But it, it is interesting, you know, I see in our work with clients when we do training events and, you know, kickoff events and other things, we've done some modules in person versus remote. And you do see some conversations work better in a remote context, whether it's sometimes it's silly, like when we do icebreakers, it can be easier for everybody to share their response in a chat, where if you're in person, you don't have time for everybody to kind of shout things out and discuss them. And so you get a little bit more just dialogue on silly things. But as you said, when it comes to kind of difficult conversations or, or challenging um, conversations, it it can be helpful to have that distance or depending on your team, depending on your group, maybe they, they would find a comfort in being together. So really understanding who it is that you're talking to is, is really important there and, and where their it, comfort and discomfort will be. You know, it is. And I, I try to always see the positive in every situation. And, and so I'm trying to, you know, what are the positive things we learned out of COVID? And I do believe, well, number one, I, I was forced to learn a lot of technology that I did not want to learn, nor, <laughs> you know, yeah, just, let's just leave it, did not want to learn. And, and you know what, it, is, it has served me well. And in fact, my students and I have connected with people all over the country. I've been able to bring in guest speakers to class via Zoom that I would never have been able to bring in live. And so I think that has been a positive. You know, my students are equally comfortable, I believe, talking over Zoom or interviewing over Zoom as they are in person, or at least they were at one time. What's happening now is what we're, I'm starting to see as we start transitioning back to in person, mm -hmm. it is becoming very scary for students. Uh, and, you know, if you think about it, and this was, you know, another thing that I, you know, just teach practice speaking up, practice talking to strangers. What did, what did we teach this generation? We taught them, we drilled into them, never talk to a stranger, stranger mm -hmm. danger. Right. And they learned that lesson really, really well. Well, I've got to undo that when they're in college because I need you talking to people. I need you, you know, and, and how do you start a conversation with a stranger and, and all of that. So they didn't have great social skills to begin with. Now we've compounded that with everybody as a potential stranger because you could get, you know, fear everywhere. Mm -hmm. um, it is going to be a, I'm seeing a challenge in my classes now getting them comfortable in person. Again, they want it. They want the social contact, but it's also, oh my gosh, we're out of practice and we're going to have to practice that more. Absolutely. And I'd imagine that it's very different depending on where somebody is in school, because if you've got someone who is a senior, they would have had one, maybe one and a half years of in-person yeah. and then sometime remote. And then they're coming back to in-person. And I can say as somebody who's been remote now for, it's about two years, um, yeah. you, you get a little rusty in, in yeah. the social skills, yeah. um, but at least they, they had that experience. Then you've got others who are sophomores and even juniors and their entire college experience has yes. been remote. 
And that's a really different constituency, you know, and with those with those people who who graduated into this environment, you know, and are graduating this semester, now they're thinking about my job prospects in person versus remote. But it there's kind of a, a whole spectrum of complexity there. You are you are exactly right. Have you been sitting on in on my classes and I haven't seen you? I mean, you 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 are you are exactly right. Um I talk I had a conversation with a student the other day and she was nervous about going to a career fair. Now, career fairs are low-lying. I mean, they're low-hanging fruit. They're there. Recruiters pay money to talk to you. I mean, it is fairly easy to start a conversation. You and I both know that. She was terrified. And Mm -hmm. her comment was, I've been online for two years. My sales class is the first in-person class she's had. And you know what? I understand. I understand why you're concerned and we've got to get over that fear. So I have embedded even more and more practice, talk to your classmates. Um, I always divide the class up when talking a big question. Okay. Here's the question. Now work in your small groups for one minute and then we'll come back to the big group. I let them talk now because they're so happy to talk to people and it gets them practice talking to people. And I don't care if they're small talking they're practicing communicating again. I used to never do that. It was like, okay, as soon as you start talking about Friday night, boom, let's stay on task. <laughs> Definitely. I'm trying to do that. The other thing I've noticed um, last year, most of the internships, I'm going to say most of them, you know, the students get excited about the company and everything, and their internships were remote. And mm-hmm. it was like, uh-uh. They don't they don't students they don't want to they don't want to remote they want to be around people they want to they want their first job to be with people now the students who have graduated you know a couple of years they thought remote was great cuz they moved to you know they moved back home or they moved to colorado or whatever but the young people graduate they they want to be with people and i find that very interesting definitely when i think of what you need to learn in your first job after college. Um, we, we've really been fortunate at our company to have hired a number of people as interns originally and then been able to transition them into full-time employees upon graduation. And so much of the skill is that kind of a lot of in-person kind of soft skills. There's, there's a decent amount that's just, you know, email communication and and other things like that. Um, How to, how to kind of effectively manage people in meetings and there's different skills in person versus remote there, but so much, you you know, you can have a, a mentoring conversation a lot better if you can kind of pull somebody to the side, maybe go get coffee, then Hey, you know, let's schedule a Zoom meeting. I've got something to talk to you about. A little bit more intimidating. It, you know, exactly. And it's not even if you you know, maybe not even coffee. I call it the water cooler talk. And I've mm-hmm. got to change that because nobody knows what a water cooler is anymore. Maybe a water purifier, but you know, or the the Xerox talk, but it's the it's the running into somebody in five minutes mm-hmm. where a, a quick question, oh yeah, I can do that. There a student is not gonna you're right. It's not going to make an appointment for a Zoom conversation over a, you know, hey, I, I don't know about this company. What do you think about them? They're not going to, they're afraid. They're not going to do that. But if they run into me in the hallway or run into somebody else, it's a organic conversation. And 
boy, I did not realize how much information and relationships were built on those small touch points until they disappeared. And I'm glad to have those, I'm glad to have those coming back again. Absolutely. I do think, you know, for some people, the the remote work has been just an absolute blessing. And, you know, it's depending on your family situation, um, people with disabilities who who really hadn't um, had resources to help them, um, to help them engage, uh, have found that they're able to better engage with, with working from home. But, you know, for, for so many people, especially in, in early stage careers, having that ability and that potential to be in person, um, even for those of us who are, you know, a little bit older and post-college, um, you know, I, I feel like when, when we get a chance to get together as a team, it's just so valuable and so important, you know, on, on an emotional level, but also, as you said, on a, an idea level, Mm -hmm. it's a lot harder to have those kind of loose brainstorming meetings over, you know, zoom or let's not pick on zoom, you know, Skype or or Teams or whatever platform it is that you're using. It's, it's just, it's it's not as easy to just, you know, somebody walks past you, you bump into someone, you mention something that's going on. And they're like, oh, I've got an idea. You're not having those bump into people conversations. I don't bump into people very often on my computer. <laughs> you know, that that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And and the same thing is true in education. Mm-hmm. So I'm I, I'm 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 hoping that, you know, as we continue to move forward, those opportunities will will come. On the other hand, I could not agree more with the flexibility. Prior to COVID, I did a lot of work with women in corporations about asking for what they want. And they didn't want more money. They wanted time. They wanted Mm -hmm. to be able to work remotely. They wanted flex time. Well, I think that issue is, I'm hoping, has been resolved. You know, so it, 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 you know, once again, that could be a very positive thing that comes out of COVID. Definitely. It's always, it's always just such a blessing to be able to think about those silver linings and recognize. Um, and, and, and also when we, when we make conscious acknowledgement of the benefits, I think it is helpful to make sure that they stick. If it's, it's really easy if you've gone into kind of a different mode for a period of time and you kind of view it all as this big jumbled mess to say, okay, now we're going to switch back to what it was before. But if you can consciously look at, okay, here's where we had challenges. Here are the things that were a lot harder. Now, here are the things that were easier. Here are the opportunities that arose, maybe to have people involved that weren't able to be involved, maybe to, like you said, get get guest speakers um, from all across the world that would have not necessarily been able to fly in. But how do we how do we kind of merge those in a way that's getting the benefits of both and move forward as opposed to trying to go back to what it was two years ago? I I couldn't agree more. And on the plus side, my students are very fluent now, online or in person. However, before it was they were better in person than they were online. Now I'm seeing them more comfortable online and a little hesitant to do it in person. So it's just, it, it, it's, um, I don't know, like, like a wave. Okay. You know, roller coaster going up, you're going down. Now I'm going to need to shift my attention back to you are more persuasive in person Mm -hmm. than your resume is. You want a job. You are your best selling point, not your resume. 
Absolutely. And I, I love that you framed it that way. It's it's always kind of where are you more comfortable? And it's probably going up and down in each of those areas over time. And when only one is available for a long period of time, guess what? <laughs> the other yeah. one is going to be more uncomfortable and more awkward. Exactly. But, um, especially, um, you know, back to, you know, the, the focus that you have on sales. When it comes to junior sales positions, it's interesting because you often see that they're doing inside sales. So having that comfort with technology, having that comfort with, you know, phone calls and, and online meetings and other things like that, that's actually going to be beneficial for them. But what you don't want is to stay locked into that role for your whole career. And having the comfort and the ability and the desire and drive to say, you know, I'd like to move into typically a, a more highly compensated, um, more senior yes. outside sales role, you need to be able to translate from that, um, you know, just dialing the phone <laughs> to yes. getting out there and meeting with people. And, and you don't want multiple levels of fear kind of holding people back there. You know, ab- absolutely. I think, you know, the one of the things that concern me the most is the isolation. And especially on a first job where you and I both know you're going to make a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. You need to be surrounded by a team. Oh, I've done that. Trust me. We've all done, you know, that, that can either pick you up really quickly or can jump in pretty quickly to avert uh, mm-hmm. disaster. And, and I think that's probably why students are looking for that in-person experience for initially, initially as they start their internship or as they start their career. Yeah. And, and understanding there again, it's, it's flexible and you might want to find something that um, has, has a lot of uh, flexibility there and you can be in person whenever you want to be, and you're guaranteed to have some people in person. So you're not the only one in an office. That's not super helpful. Um, (laughs) But then um, to, to know that you'll have the ability to, to be flexible, Um, especially you see young people, they're, they're figuring out where they're going to live and having the ability to potentially move anywhere in the country and still be able to do their job. That's, that's really beneficial. I know a lot of people, um, I grew up in the Midwest. So a lot of people got married in college and, and right after college. And then you're kind of negotiating where are you going to move based on what kind of jobs you can get. And it's a lot easier if one person can do their job remotely. And so having, having these options for people and, and, you know, moving forward with flexibility, I think there's a lot of potential to, to make life easier for people while still, um, ensuring that people can develop the skills and the ability and the comfort level with um, in-person work, in-person conversations, and in-person selling, because that's not going away. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so in in that case, you know, it may, it may um, encourage relationships because you don't have to do the long-term relationship or long distance relationship when, when you have that flexibility. And I think that will be It'll be interesting to see how that moves forward, but I have to think the younger generation is going to really embrace that. Absolutely. I know we've talked about a lot of different topics so far. Are there any other kind of big themes either that you've seen changing in in curriculum, whether again, it's COVID related or not, or any trends that you're seeing coming that maybe you're just getting a glimpse of right now? Um, That's a really good question, Elizabeth. I would, I would say, yeah, I, I would say this, my, my biggest concern, honestly, now, and I've said this at the very beginning of COVID is, is not really so much the fit, my students' physical health, 
but their mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I have that, that will continue to be a concern. And I adapted a practice from my recruiters that my recruiters told me about my students have a mental health day mm. and I encourage them, you know, if, for example, if they had COVID, the policy was stay home, it's yours, you know, stay <laughs> home, you're sick, you know, that, please well, don't give it to everybody else. Please don't give it to everybody else. That's, that is exactly right. Well, you know, and bring a doctor's excuse, right? But well, why don't we treat mental health the same mm. way? And so I give them a mental health day and I was really kind of surprised how many took it and they will email me and say, I'm taking a mental health day. And, you know, and I said, you can't have a mental health semester. Okay. That's called <laughs> slacking. But, and, and I said, that's great. And, and they come back stronger. I said, yeah, that's just what I, I just needed. Yes. Yes, you did. And um, so I, I think we need to all be very sensitive to that. I also know my recruiters, they missed being in the classroom as much as the students miss seeing them. And I was equally as concerned because they're used to the energy in the classroom mm-hmm. and young people bring so much energy. So I'm excited to keep moving forward and keep seeing that energy in the classroom again and, and, and energizing. Yeah. Energy. I just say energy that, that builds from being with other people. Absolutely. Um, in the podcast last week, I talked to Lisa Earl McLeod, and one of the things that we touched on is that emotional lift that you get from the office and, and how that, that helps. Um, I love that you're, you're focusing on and thinking about that, that ability as a leader, right? As a professor, you're, you're, too, you're in a kind of corollary position to what a manager yeah. would be in, yes. in an office environment. And you can, if somebody came into the office with a broken arm, you know, just hanging there, <laughs> you'd say, oh, yes. my goodness, go to the hospital, go home. But then you've got somebody coming into the office and they're in the middle of a family crisis or they're, you know, just in, in they're having a mental health um, challenge. They're having yeah. they're having something go on personally. And we ignore that and we just expect them to put their head down and do their job. And that's not it's not fair. <laughs> it's not yeah. right. And you're not going to you're not going to get the best of that person. Just just really basically as a, you know, as a manager, you want people to be productive and successful. They're not going to be, but also the message that that sends in your organization, if you don't care about people in that way, that person I'm imagining is a lot more likely to leave the company when, you know, when they have the potential and everybody around them sees, oh, you know, if I've got something going on, my manager doesn't care. This, this organization isn't um, compassionate. They, they're, they're not willing to, to work with me and to help me deal with situations. Uh, That's not exactly an appealing company culture. Yeah. I mean, I, I could not agree more. And and that's why I adapted the mental health day. And in fact, um, I had the student body president, a woman, I was so excited, um, was in my women in sales class last semester. And one of her platforms was mental health for students. And I'm thinking, you know what? The students are telling us something. We need to, we need to listen. And so that's another impetus, I think, for, and sales class is the perfect place to teach it, how do you connect? We, we've forgotten how to connect with other people. And face it, sales is all about relationships. Mm-hmm. And you know what better place to practice than in a classroom? Well, let's start connecting with your peers, okay? And then we can take what we learn here and we can take it to the outside world and you can start connecting with recruiters. And then you can start connecting with customers. And then you can start connecting with 
your fellow employees. And I think that lifts everyone up. Absolutely. Well, um, this has been such a, a wonderful conversation, Jane. I always love talking to you and I, I always leave our conversations hopeful and excited about the future. I think, you know, this this next generation that we have coming up, uh, there's always challenges that they face, but they're they're, they've got a lot of skills. They've got a, a lot of great ideas and potential. And to know that there are people like you that are that are supporting and nurturing them is very encouraging. Well, likewise, I always enjoy our conversations too, Elizabeth, and, and I too. I am I am very optimistic and hopeful about the future because I, I, I sit with the future every day, and and it's good. They're 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 good people. They're gonna they're gonna do good things. Wonderful. Well, do you have any resources that you would recommend to our listeners? Maybe if they're if they're interested in following up on some of the conversations that we've had today, or just um, excellent resources that you that you found over the last months. Um, let's see. Well, you know, I'm. Uh, these are probably the uh, same. I, I read a lot of the same authors. Okay, Brene Brown's new book, Atlas of the Heart. Very, very good, and I think it's going to be um, instrumental in helping us communicate. And I don't care if you're sales or, you know, relationships, right? I mean, anything, but help us communicate as humans how we're feeling. And we don't do that very well. And I I think that'll be really, so I I love that book. Um, I've gotten hooked on the We Can Do Hard Things podcast with Glennon Doyle and Abby Wambach. Um. So those are those. I think those are the two that I'm I'm hooked on the most right now. Wonderful, excellent recommendations, both of them. All right, Jane. If people want to learn more about you and your work, where can they find you? Probably the TEDx talk is probably the easiest place, and you can find me at the University of Cincinnati or on LinkedIn. So I'm accessible. All right. Perfect. Thank you so, so, so much for being with me today, Jane. It's um, a wonderful time every time I get to talk to you. Thank you, Elizabeth. It was truly my pleasure. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning into today's show. You can find the notes and resources for everything we've been talking about today at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod three, three, eight. If you enjoyed the show today, please share it with a friend. That is the best way to help more people discover it. And if you haven't subscribed, make sure to do that wherever it is that you're listening. That way you get every new episode as soon as it comes out. We love feedback. You can leave us ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or your other platform of choice. Or you can email us if you've got direct feedback, if you've got questions, if you've got guest suggestions. You can email us at podcast at criteriaforsuccess.com. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at CFS Playbook and the blog at criteriaforsuccess.com. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success. Happy selling.